So, you learned a few things about when you moved to Macedonia, which was you left when you were one. Yeah, Zlata was um, starting grade four, and we calculated when could have that been, and ended up that it was in 55. So when your grandma said to your mom, leave her behind, she won't survive in Belgrade. Yeah. She was talking about a one-year-old. Yeah. And you also learned that you didn't just work in your grandparents' farm. You also worked in your relative Dimcha's farm. Yes. That was my father's sister who married in Zrze, his village. And uh, we were helping them as well. Okay. So your whole family would go to his village and help with the harvest? Yeah, my mom and we kids. And what did you do there? Mostly for the harvest of the wheat, because you would like to harvest the wheat before summer storm starts. My uncle was the only child, and they were all his wife, my aunt. My father's sister was the youngest one. So her children were much younger than my uncle, Spase, who was living with my grandparents, and he had five kids who were older and were able to help more. Like they were, you know, teenagers who were working hard. So their work, and they didn't have that much. So they would finish the harvest sooner. And while they were doing other things, we were sent to help my auntie, Dimche's mother. So Dimche's parents, your dad's sister Mm -hmm. and her husband needed help with harvesting the wheat. Mm -hmm. And that's at the beginning of summer? Beginning of July. Okay. So you guys would go and help because Dimche and his siblings were too young. Yeah. They, They couldn't do it all by themselves. And this was in another village. How far away was that? It wasn't very far, maybe 45 minutes walk, if I remember correctly. And what was harvesting wheat like? Uh, you have something that looks like a half moon mm-hmm. with a, ho- a handle on it. I think that's called a sickle. Okay, sickle. And you grab wheat in the, in the hand and you take a sickle and you cut the ones that you grabbed and you put it on the side and on the end somebody goes and um, collect it and put it in a big uh, bundle that uh, would be tied together and it would be bigger than your hand could not touch each other to grab that bundle. And obviously on one side it would be the fruit Mm-hmm. And on the other side was nothing. It was a place where it was cut. And it would be probably long, about one meter. The socks of wheat. Yes. And Dimitri told me that we were sent to work on the side of the field where wheat wasn't so dense. And it wasn't that tall either. Mm-hmm. So kids were doing that. And what else I learned, for some reason, they are choosing the last harvest to be the furthest from home. I don't understand why, but that's how it was. Maybe because if there is a storm and starts raining, lots of wheat is lost because of the heavy rain and the wind. So they like to address, I would assume, the harvest that was close by so they can do most of it and the further you go it takes more time to go there and pick up you lose one hour a day or two hours a day yeah that makes sense 
And what were what were these days like? Did you talk while you worked? Were you all kind of too far apart? Was it kind of fun? Did you hate it? I don't recall much fun while we were doing it, but the the pain that I felt was the worst. You know how you are walking over the wheat that you have cut, mm-hmm. and we didn't have proper shoes. We had uh, uh, flip-flops, flip-flops, and they were not very big. And the wheat, as it grows, is not cut to the ground, maybe 10 centimeters from the ground. And as you walk, you kind of crush some of the, the stamps that are left, but some still cut your skin on the side of your foot. And that was painful. You, you would have wounds all around your feet, mm. uh, bleeding from that, um, because wheat is hollow inside, and it's dry, and it's very sharp, because you're cutting it with very sharp tool. And it's not cut horizontally, but in an angle, which is mm-hmm. perfect for cutting the skin. So I hated that part. And I was always kind of trying to walk. I remember not lifting my hand, the feet, but sliding my feet over the, the wheat. But sometimes, you know, some of the stubs would still cut me. Mm-hmm. So that's the only thing I remember. I don't remember being fun because you cannot drink, you cannot talk, you cannot do anything. You just have to walk and be quiet. And sometimes he said if I was doing it at their place, it was two hours walk from the village. So for a child to walk without talking and without drinking and being careful not to spill that because it's important. So why couldn't you talk? Because you had these rocks in your mouth. Okay, tell me about the rocks in the mouth. What are these rocks in your mouth? They're little flat, like um, maybe one to three millimeters wide and smaller than the small fingernail. And you put them under your tongue. Tongue? Uh-huh. And you walk with that. Why? And flowers. I don't know. That's a tradition to... Because that uh, mice don't eat, they would eat the rocks, they wouldn't eat the wheat. So it's like a superstitious, like a ritual. Ritual that mice don't eat your wheat. Everyone who was going to the field would keep these stones in their mouth? No, just one person from family. Okay, so one sort of representative of the family. Yeah, and usually it's a child. I don't know why, but it's a child. To keep you quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Uh, but what was everyone else talking? Of course. But you didn't always have it in your mouth, did you? No, but I only remember that because it was hard. Okay. So you also had flowers that you carried? Yeah, it was a little bit of wheat uh, put together. And for some reason, they called it beard. Wait, in, in Macedonia? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's called brada beard and they would cut some flowers there and decorate it with it and you carry that as well so you're walking two hours from the house to the field yes and then back why is the field so far away from the house because you don't inherit the whole farm if you are poor once you get a little bit money or if it's a good harvest and somebody is selling a piece of a little field somewhere, you go and buy it from that person. Mm. And then you don't have everything in one place. Like in U.S. you have big... No. You saw when we were there, where we were picking the tobacco field, you saw how not the very big plots are there. They're relatively small. So a family might have several small plots in different places, depending on where they were able to buy them over the years. Yes. Okay. And did you carry those rocks in your mouth there and back? No, only from there back. 
When you spoke to Dimcha, did he say how long the days were of working in the field? For a week, you go in the morning and you come at night. I don't think we as kids were going there from early in the morning because they would go with the sunrise. But I remember vividly that we were bringing the food for lunch for the workers. And we would sit with them, let them finish their meal. Usually it's about noon. And when they finish the meal, they would lay down and uh, have a little nap in some shade, some oak tree or some, some other tree shade. And we would go back home. After they had dinner and maybe we would play a little in the shade quietly while they are sleeping. And then we would work a little and then we would go home or, or stay with them till the end of the day. And usually the day is finishing when uh, sunrise starts and we normally get home before. It is hard working uh, day so you mean sunset sunset and then we would go home and the dinner would be ready before these people come and they would eat right away sometimes if it's needed for something else we would go back earlier and work on something else like help with the animals they were coming back from the pasture help with watering the garden or bring some water or whatever is needed. They would give us instructions what we are supposed to do and who is supposed to do what. That was given in the morning. You do this, that, and you do this, and you do this, and everybody knew what they were doing. But dinner was later when the workers came home finally from the field. Yes. Uh And Dimitri's parents were cooking the dinner? No, not parents. Father was on the field. There is always a woman at home. Who cooks, who cooks the dinner. Dimcha's mom in this case? Yes, Dimcha's mom. Or I think it could be when I was very young that there was her mother-in-law who was cooking dinner and she was working on the field as well. And mm. come at night. Do you remember what they had for dinner? The same thing. Beans? One beans and one vegetable soup. There is always one pork that would be killed in the autumn and the pieces of meat would be chopped and fried in lard and it would be left in some kind of <clears throat> wooden thing in a cold room under the, under the house, like a cellar. And what was interesting, even in the summer, the meat would be covered with the fat on top and it can stay like that like whole year hmm. or more. And little pieces of meat would be added during the hardest part of the work, like during the harvesting. And when men were uh, gathering the hay, like uh, they would let grass grow maybe two feet, and then they will go with that big, what is that? guy the death carries on the long the sickle second. well no it's a um a sickle i think is the kind you hold in your hand but the uh-huh. kind that that the grim reaper carries is i don't remember what that's called but anyway man would go and work like that you take it on one side and mm-hmm. swing it all the way and the grass would fall and they would move forward and forward that was considered the hardest time and then if there is any meat men would get it because they were working the hardest there was none for women or kids Mm -hmm. or chopping the wood going into the mountain and bringing some wood for winter that was also considered very very hard work but wood was gathered in autumn early autumn i think not in summertime. And were you friends with Dimche or any of the other kids? Uh, I don't know. I prefer to, to stick with the older ones. And I don't think I had anybody who was my age. 
there. Who was your friend there? I don't recall that I had a friend, but I remember when I finished high school, I like a boy who was, you know, in the village and he came to visit his grandparents from Skopje. And his name was Dobri. Hmm. So I liked him. But that was much later. Yeah. All of this, I guess, was happening all throughout your childhood because you were coming back to the village every summer from Belgrade. Yes. And what was Dobri like? I I don't know. We talked much. I just liked him. What did he look like? He had dark hair, short dark hair, nice, nice looking boy. But uh, I don't know. What I would like to to talk about our trips to Macedonia and back. Okay. Um, we would take a night train that would leave maybe around 8 or 9 o'clock from Belgrade. And we would sit in the second class. It wasn't the best, but it wasn't the worst either. And we would arrive to a village called Gostirajni, and we would get out of there. And very seldom somebody was waiting with a horse for us. So it meant that we had to go two to three hours with the luggage for all of us, five of us kids, and we didn't have much. But nevertheless, luggage was quite heavy, and we had to carry it for a few hours. Older kids and my mother were carrying the most, but everybody was kind of helping a little. Yeah. How long was the train ride? Oh, we would arrive in the morning next day. And could you sleep in the train, or was it seats? There were seats. No, no, no. Just the seats, and we would kind of lay on each other and sleep a little and wake up a little and, you know, like sardines sitting next to each other, leaning on each other. And um, we would go to my auntie's house in that village where we just got off the train, Mm -hmm. and then we would walk all the way to Margari. Oh, you'd stop and rest at your aunt's house? Not rest, but have a breakfast. Mm. And uh, drink nice water. And um, my mom would talk with her sister, but my sisters were always very anxious to go to the village. And they were rushing mom to, let's go, let's go, let's go all the time. How come? Why did they want to go to the village so much? Because my uncle, my father's brother, who stayed in the village, his name is Pase, he had three daughters and two sons. Uh, Three older daughters were Zlata and Sloba's age. So they had a friend there. At the time that I remember, they were already, they're teenagers and they liked the boys and they were talking about the boys and, you know, they were kind of, Um, anxious. I stopped going to Macedonia when I was 16. So in the house where we stayed with grandparents, there was nobody my age. My Mm -hmm. two cousins were older than me and they were boys. So I didn't spend any time with them. So for them, it was kind of like a summer vacation that they looked forward to, like summer camp. Yes. But for you, it was a little bit more alienating, maybe? Yeah, I was kind of tugging along and trying not to make waves too much, not to get into trouble. But I I often got into trouble. How did you get into trouble? I don't know. I, I think they teased me, and then I was very rebellious, and I would be angry like you, and they would tease me, and I would kind of hit them and then I paid dearly because they hit me back so much harder but it kind of you know kid stuff and I remember once they they made me so angry and I sat and I was working and I didn't get up they were teasing me a lot and um, they say oh we have to do this with Nada all the time because look how fast she's working when she's angry Mm -hmm. I remember them saying that. 
And um, was it because you were the youngest? Uh, probably, and I was a difficult child as well. Like I, I was rebellious. I, I wanted to go with older kids. I wanted to do whatever they are doing. I thought I, I was good enough, and I was smart enough, and. And there was something else that I learned as a child. I learned how to ignore the pain. And I remember my uncle, Spas, and my father's brother had a toothache. And he was complaining and, you know, holding his mouth, uh, jaw. And I said, we called him Chichkus Pase. <laughs> just ignore it. He said, how can you ignore when it's hurting? You just ignore it, and it works. I remember I was able to completely get out of my pain as I was a child. Like what kind of pain? A toothache, when I get hurt. Completely ignore it. When the the wheat went to my ear. When I was sick, I had tonsillitis all the time. And uh, that's why they removed them. But I was absolutely, I remember being able to feel the pain. And I said, I don't want to feel it. And I was able to stop. Did anyone teach you to do that? No, no, that was me. Can you still do that? No. Are you sure you could do that as a kid? Absolutely. I remember. I remember feeling pain, very, very sharp pain. And I remember being able to stop. And I remember telling my uncle about it when I was a child. I don't know how old I was, but, you know, he he just he, he thought I was joking or that I wasn't serious. Hmm. I think children have many abilities to overcome something and ignore something that it's painful, like winter time when it's cold but you want to play and mm-hmm. you absolutely ignore and you don't feel the pain of cold, of wet fingers or wet toes. And you come home and it's all so red. But, you know. That's a great point. Parents wouldn't have to tell their kids to dress warmly if it bothered them to be cold. Yeah. I remember Eva once didn't want to put a jacket and there was, um, what's that called, like on the cars, white thing like ice? Icicles? Uh, no, frost? A little frost, yeah. little frost on the cars from humidity. And when I went to pick Eva up to be with her, and she didn't want to put the jacket on. I said, okay, let's go outside. And we went outside, and she was shi- shivering and um, didn't want to say she was cold. <laughs> and I said to her, you know, Eva, it's okay. If you're cold, we can go home and get the jacket. And she said, okay, let's go home and get the jacket. <laughs> hmm. And your family came back to the village in the summers because the family needed help around harvest or it was because they missed the family or it was cheaper? Like what? Was your dad still in Belgrade working at the factory? Yes. He would uh, go home in November or December when it's uh, time to make uh, rakia uh, brandy or to slaughter the pig or uh, when, you know, for a few days you have extra work. And we never went together during the holiday. Why we went there? We would go there for two and a half months. Uh, School finishes on 20th of June, and school starts 6th of September. So you have two and a half good months that my parents didn't have to spend on food for all of us. And uh, what was nice... Because your was, grandparents would be feeding you. Yeah, we would be working. And and what else? They would make us a one dress every year. My oldest cousin from my uncle uh, Spase 
learn how to be a mistress. Uh, seamstress. Seamstress. <laughs> Sorry. Seamstress. And she would make all of us, she would buy a very thin cotton mm-hmm. material, and we would have, like, Yagoda and I will have the same dress. You know, sleeveless dress. Uh, like a summer dress? Yeah, like a summer dress. And we would wear that dress to go to religious holidays, to go to my mother's sister's Beladia. Remember, we went to Srovia village. And she was my favorite. Or for Petrovdan, which is on 12th of July, we would go to Dinja's house for one night in two days. And to my other aunt for 2nd of August for St. Elijah. And we would go again to Dimche's house for Preobraženje, which is a holiday of that Zrze monastery where we were going for celebration. It would be like, you know, all kinds of things you can buy to eat, like candies and music would play, people with um, drums and zurli and gaide, Pipes would play, mm-hmm. and then bagpipes, bagpipes, and uh, young people would dance. And uh, so the holidays in the summer were celebrated at this monastery in the in the hills. Uh, one of the holiday would be there. Oh, okay. Preobraženje, which comes on the eighteenth, nineteenth of August. And this seems like a very different kind of, like. It seems like a big deal to have music, to have candy. Um, oh, we didn't have any candy. We we didn't have money to buy any candy. Maybe we would get a candy from uh, aunt or somebody would give us a candy, but uh, we didn't buy. And there would be a little, like, a cake that you can eat and it would have a little mirror in the middle. Um, but I remember looking at it, wow, and there would be like plastic necklaces and rings. and. But you didn't get any of these? No, things. no, I didn't get it. But it was nice to look at it. Uh-huh. And what about the other holidays? Where did you celebrate those? No, these are the, the three holidays we celebrated. But you said one of them was at the monastery. That was uh, 19th of August, Preobraženje. But the other ones? The other one, uh, and we would go to Dimche's house, my aunt's house. We would sleep there, and in the morning we would go to the monastery. And uh, maybe we would bring some, they were selling some food there, but she would make something like gibanitsa or something, and we would take with us and we would go there and eat there and come back and then at night eat dinner and go home. Did Dimche's family have more money? Than yours? Oh, no. They're very, very poor. My aunt was, and now this is something, I don't know if you can fathom, something very bad. If you want, you can delete it. Every year she was pregnant, or every other, the longest year was pregnant. And I don't know how many. Dimcha's mother? Dimcha's mother. And she had uh, twins two or three times. And when she had kids, I have heard that she was killing some of them because they couldn't feed them. It means that the other kids wouldn't have anything to eat. And definitely all the twins never had the surviving sibling. That's horrible. How did you learn about this? I don't know. You heard about it because, you know... How come so many kids didn't survive? On the end, maybe five, six survived. But she probably, my grandmother had 14 kids. Only four survived. They just didn't have enough to feed them. Do you think it's cruel? You said it was cruel. I was surprised you chose that word. Uh, I, I can't imagine how hard it is for mother to to choose one of the children and kill the other one because she cannot feed the others. So it's cruel for everybody. 
for kids, for mothers, for... And you know you don't have enough land, even if you can feed them now, how when they divide the land, how they can live off that land. Right. So it's cruel to be in that kind of situation that you have to choose. Yeah. And usually the the one that is sick was left to die. Maybe they didn't kill it, but they didn't even necessary healed it either right they just like what my grandmother was saying about me leave her here don't take her there and if my mother left me i don't know what would have been my (laughs) uh destiny you know i was talking to kyle about the first episode and it's interesting to hear his perspective because He's never heard these stories before. And one of the first things he said was, your mom's an inspiration. And I've thought this before, but I thought it was very right that that was the first thing that he said, that knowing who you are now and then hearing where you came from, essentially left for dead. It was a different time, but still just how different your life is now and how far you've came from there to here is really is inspiring and i thought this too when i was a kid and you would tell me stories of your childhood before bed which i remember really liking to hear remember how i'd always ask you to tell me stories of your childhood before bed i don't recall oh i i mean maybe i'm misremembering but i i remember wanting to hear more stories and then you saying i don't remember anything else but This was in Montreal, I think, and I just wanted to hear what it was like because it was so different to me. And I remember one of my earliest childhood memories is hearing about this little baby doll you had. Yeah. And the eyes that closed when you put it on its back and just the idea that that was your only toy for years of your life. And we had a basement full of toys. Have you told Eva that story? Oh, yes. Okay. Did she like hearing it? I I remember when I told her, I think she was three, that I didn't have any dress when I was young. Mm -hmm. And her reaction was, Grandma, you could take all these dresses. They are too small for me. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember as a kid thinking what I was reminded of when Kyle said this, which is that you carry with you every day inside the person that we know now, this life experience of growing up this way, that's with you. That's part of you all the time and we don't see it. And it's hard to imagine that that's in there because it's so different than anything that I've experienced or that anyone around me here has experienced. I remember Yelena got so angry when I told her about she was talking to me. She was pregnant with Eva. And we were walking. And she said how I was cruel and I beat her up uh, when she left to spend some time with a friend and there was a misunderstanding. You probably heard about that story. I don't beat her up. You mean like spanked her? Uh, I took a wooden spoon Uh, and I went to the bathroom and I was spanking her on her butt. And I tried to say that I'm sorry about that, but, you know, life goes on. You have to overcome that. And I don't know what to do about it. Like, and I told her I overcame where my father was kicking me while I was on the floor because of my tooth I didn't want to pull and she was so angry and started crying you are telling me about my pain by telling me about the worst pain she was so angry with me and it's interesting how two of you have different um, maybe the timing is different I think the timing I think the context matters I mean 
you don't want to be told by someone who hurt you to get over it because they got over it. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to hear it from somebody who hurt you that. I'm sure you probably didn't want to hear about your dad's pain after he kicked you. But when I was adult, I know that his life was much worse than mine. I'm sure. Yeah. So, you know, we we carry something that we, his father was very the same as my dad, alcoholic. and Yeah. And I never wanted uh, Buddha to hit you because when he gets mad, he... He doesn't look where he is hitting you. But I was very precise and I knew <laughs> where I was hitting and I knew how much I was hitting, not to hurt you, just that you feel the pain. Mm-hmm. So if it's any consolation, not much probably, but... I don't carry any resentment about being spanked as a kid. You know that. Um, coming back to Macedonia and how different your life is, I guess I'm trying to understand the experience of being that person today or being a person whose life has changed so much from their childhood to now. You know what surprises me? That it's not only me who changed so much. Like if I look, everybody, my cousins, my you, you were there. Yeah. Everybody lives comfortably. Everybody is far away from that pain of hunger and uh, poverty. That's what surprises me, that we, we all had some kind of a gene to fight and to do something with our lives. It's not me only, everybody. But wasn't this also the period of Yugoslavian socialism where there were large investments in education and the public? Yeah, investment in education. But we had the benefits. Like I was lucky that my father came to Belgrade and we were second generation who had more. Where my cousins who lived in the village, they were the first generation who went away from home and from them was even harder mm-hmm. because they didn't grow up in a village they didn't grow up in good schools they didn't grow up in uh, in more nurturing environment mm-hmm. where like it or not even though we were poor i was in the middle of it i was able to go to a dentist villager people don't have a medical insurance i don't think so So we were lucky ones, considering that my mom, she worked around the house, but she didn't have to deal with the field and with going to cook and work in the field all year around. Her destiny was easier than my uh, aunts and uncles. Mm -hmm. So there were people worse off than you still? Yeah, worse off. Yes, yes. And you ask me how I feel about this. I can't believe that I'm going to finish my career working at Google. I cannot believe how much I have saved. I cannot believe how comfortable we lived in, you know, that apartment in Belgrade where six of us and even uh, when Zlata got married and got a baby, the small room was for them, and we all slept in the other room. And at the time, there were eight or even ten of us in the little apartment for one bedroom. And it was normal. And I look at my place now, and I'm, you know, I'm alone here, and I can pay for it. And I have so much that I saved, and I, I can't believe where I am. But that deprived child kicks in and uh, insecurities, believing that I'm not worth something, that I don't deserve something, is there. That I don't deserve to have a good partner in life, that I don't deserve 
for somebody to take care of me when I'm sick. It's okay, I can take care of everybody who is sick, but somebody to take care of me when I'm sick, you know, it's it's hard. That bringing up that you're supposed to help everybody and you're supposed to stay strong. Being brought up that way. Yeah. And, you know, saying is husbands do not like sick wives. That was a saying? Yeah. If you want your husband to like you, you don't be sick. Mm. Kind of. And I I told that to to Glenn, and he said, bastards. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Kyle had a similar reaction to your dad and how he treated you and the family and what men could get away with. Not even get away with, but what was considered normal and what men were considered entitled to. Yeah. It's sad. That's how they were raised. And looking from this point, everybody in the village was alcoholics. Like, you couldn't live that kind of life working so hard without drinking all day long. Like you Mm -hmm. would drink first thing in the morning, you would drink with the breakfast, you would drink with the lunch, you would drink with the dinner. And at the time, you didn't use any equipment that is, um, you have to be careful. You drink things in order to be able to work hard. Right. There was no heavy machinery that you had to be careful with. Yeah. And everybody was alcoholic. Like people would drink few hundred liters of rakia. It was like two cups of rakia a day. That's common thing for everybody. Yeah. Just the men? Just the men. Some women, but not so many women. Hmm. There was money for that? There was no money. You have plums no. and you make uh, rakia out of right. plums. Right. It's, it gives you calories. It gives you endurance. Right. Doping. And now we're all on antidepressants. Yes, something. Uh, Another thing is, I want to share something about my grandfather. Grandfather was, I don't know why, but blind. And he went to Serbia and was our guest during the surgery. That was experimental surgery. They replaced his eye for young men who died. Mm-hmm. And during the, the surgery, they wanted to give him a total anesthesia and he would be still awake and they would try more and more and more and he's still awake. And on the end, they had the surgery and he was aware of it. Okay, he didn't have a pain, but he was absolutely conscious during the surgery because he was such an alcoholic that all the anesthesia they were giving him because he was used to... Is that true? That's what they were telling me. I was maybe 10 years old when I heard the story. Hmm. And he was supposed to stop drinking. Do you think that he stopped? No, he continued and he probably didn't take uh, this anti... uh, medication that... The immune suppressants. Yeah. And um, another thing... Wait, so he didn't take that after? And what happened? Oh, he lost his eye somehow. You know, it was a hole in his eye. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. It's just... I mean, it is funny. <laughs> no, but it's just... It, the situation is, is absurd, but also just the way... You know, this is a, a thing I'm used to with you where you kind of... you. You miss the punchline sometimes that, you know, he lost his eye at the end. You didn't say that. What did I say? We just didn't say anything about it. Okay. And another thing, he was blind on, you know, he lost that eye and he was blind on the other eye, maybe seeing just a little bit of light. And I remember talking to a neighbor, overhearing how grandma doesn't want to sleep with him she must have found somebody else. And they were both in 90s. And my grandma probably didn't want to have sex with him anymore. But my grandpa was still, you know, longing to have sex with her. He didn't hear us 
that we were nearby. And, you know, he became a joke on the end. Whose father was this? My father's father. Uh-huh. And he, when he was in his late 80s or beginning of 90s, he lost his teeth and he got a new tooth. And they were kidding him. Now we have to give him something with pearl that his uh, tooth lasts long. You have to give him something with pearl? Yeah. When kids get their first tooth, there is a tradition. Whoever can afford buys their kid something with a pearl in it. Uh, So their teeth are going to be like pearls. And so the joke was we should get him one for his new tooth. But where did he get his tooth? And that's the thing. I don't know if there is a joke, but I heard that people can have a third set of teeth in the late life. It could be that it was fluke, but he definitely got one, uh, one tooth, one more tooth naturally that wasn't there before. Huh. Any other stories you want to share before we wrap up for tonight? Uh, about my grandma's teeth. This is your dad's mom? Yeah, none. And you, if you don't have teeth, you're losing the bone. And she couldn't eat anything. She always had a knife that had a rope. And she would slice everything so thin that she didn't have to chew on anything. Oh. That she would keep it in her mouth and then even fruits, so thin that you can see through. Mm-hmm. And she would keep it in her mouth and she would swallow it on the end. And what was funny for me and cute is when she would close her mouth, her chin could touch her nose. Wait, she could make her chin touch her nose? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, in that kind of old person kind of wrinkled sort of way no like we have teeth yeah under the teeth there is a gum yeah and that's a bone and it's only there while you have teeth if you lose the 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 tooth gum disappears that's why they had to do grafting on me remember Mm-hmm. Even in a year or two, you're losing lots of bone. But if you don't have any teeth, you're losing lots of bones. Mm. And you don't have any jaw. Right. And if you don't have lower and upper jaw, your chin, because as you get older, your nose is growing and uh, oh, your chin. And when she would close her mouth she would be able to touch her nose. Oh, gosh. And another thing about my grandma... What did you think of that as a kid? I thought it was cute. And But what uh, she was scared of, she heard somewhere, if you don't have any teeth, your tongue may break. And she was scared that her tongue will break in half and she wouldn't be able to speak. Oh, and she was, you know, when, when you don't have a jaw, it's harder to understand when somebody speaks. So right. we had a hard time understanding her. And another thing about my grandma that I remember, and I told you that, that if she we were doing something that wasn't appropriate, she would pinch us mm-hmm. very hard. But she also had, sometimes in her pocket, she would have a candy. And she would give us a candy. And that was so nice. And every time we come to the village, we have to kiss grandma and kiss her hand and grandpa's hand. And when we were going home, we had to do the same. But when we were going home, it would be something like a dollar in her hand when we kiss her and she would push it into our hand. And another thing that I just remember before I forget about my grandma, she never wore underwear. (laughs) If she needed to pee, she would just stand up, spread her leg, 
and she would pee on the ground. She never had to bend to, <laughs> to pee. And for me, that was so, I tried once and I wet myself all over the place as a child. <laughs> Um, okay. Now you heard something that you never thought you would hear. I mean, I can picture it so clearly. Just the the country life. Pick up your skirt and squat down to pee and you're done. No, but you don't even squat. She didn't even squat. Nothing. She would just spread her leg. And by the way, she wore always a wool clothing, even yeah. in summertime. Old ladies in Serbia still do that. Wool. Yeah. No, they wear dark black things, but they're not. They're, they're made of cotton, but handmade wool, like a outfit. That was surprising to me. But I learned that even in Africa, people wear woolen clothing in summertime because it keeps your room temperature, uh, body temperature. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I told you everything that I remember at this moment. That sounds like a great place to close the conversation. Thank you so much, Rama. Thank you for listening. And I want to tell you, Zlata asked me what we were doing, and I told her about you. And she said, Besposlen pop i jariče krsti. When the priest doesn't have anything to do, he can baptize even the goats. Uh, like we have nothing else to do, we are, <laughs> and now we are talking about the childhood, and you're taping. And I said, "Listen, that's not my wish. That's what Luba wants to do, and uh, why not?" I'm still saying, she said, "You don't have anything better to do. That's why you're doing it." Yeah. I, I find your your sister's judgmentalness to be a very peculiar thing that they do, but and very um, accurate. What do you mean? That we don't have anything else to do, so we are choosing to do this. What do they have to do? What are they doing? No, but I'm joking. No, I mean, but it's it's silly, right? Like it's it's Zlata goes to the market and sells and cooks and prepares food and I know makes money yeah no I mean it's it's certainly a luxury to be able to stop and reflect on the past it is but she does that so her family can enjoy luxuries yeah so she should be happy for us yeah Okay, Mama, Lakunoch. Lakunoch, love you. Love you too.